we're in a series here, a series called Relentless Love. We're talking about the love of God Almighty as he pours it down into our lives, unleashing it, and it never stops. Relentless love. God having a passion and a compassion for you and for me, all of us as he lavishes on his steadfast love, the love that never ends. And uh, man, we have some details we're learning about that. We're walking through the book of Jonah. So we're talking about the message and the messenger, right? And the message of his relentless love is simple. It's that God absolutely has a plan. And while we've come up short, we can lean on that king who has it in hand. May we share of his greatness. May we share of his glory. It is all about our God. And all of God's people said, right? and that is the message. And the messenger, well, that's you and me. Having the privilege of being able to share with a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, somebody that God brings across our path where we can be real about what God is doing in our lives and share a part or a whole of that message as we let God know and let them know we're with him, right? We celebrate our king and we make much of him. That's what it's all about and super excited about it. And uh, so we're about being the messenger and we're about bringing the message. So we're coming from the book of Jonah and we're learning some details from it. If you remember back in Jonah, the first week was about obeying, obeying what God has sent us to and called us to. The second week was about repentance, getting things clear in our life. Forgive me, God, I'm wrong, right? Getting that cleared up with our king. And then last week was about sharing boldly, vulnerably, willingly saying whatever God wants said, whenever he wants it said, may God get the glory, right? And so we've talked through those pieces. We're going to pick up Jonah chapter 4 today, so let's make sure that we got the story nailed down before we go into Jonah chapter 4, right? So there's this guy named Jonah. In fact, his name is Jonah, son of Amittai. And Amittai in the Hebrew means truth, son of truth. And so the book of Jonah is all about bringing truth and making sure Jonah actually grasps the truth, the irony in it all. Hey, you need to make sure you get this. And right, so Jonah lives in Israel, which is right along the Mediterranean Sea. God's like, hey, I, I got a plan. I need you to go 550 miles away up over to the east. I need you to go to this city of Nineveh. And it's the capital of Assyria. I need you to go over there and I need you to share a message to them. Their evil has come to my ears and I need you to go challenge them. Right? And a couple of problems with that. It's, we've talked about it's a long walk, right? 550 miles. If you're walking 20 miles a day, you're walking for about a month, 20 miles a day. Like that is a long commitment just to get there. But it's more than just about putting some distance on the feet. The people he's being called to go to, these Assyrians are horrible people. They're warriors, they're vicious, they're mean beyond all measure. They're willing to hurt anyone or anything in order to win. It's more than just in their war, they're also just deeply selfish, sinful people. And it's washed on the shore of Israel multiple times over. And it's kind of become one of those nationalistic issues. Like, we're sick of them. And then God's like, why don't you go tell them? Let's talk about it. Right? And you can imagine Jonah, he's like, okay, the long walk thing, yeah, yeah. But seriously, you want me to go and tell people who are known for murdering people, hey, you kind of tick me off, 
right? Like, how long do you expect me to live when I go and send this message that they need to somehow be responding to you? And, but it's more than that even. He's like, I'm not even sure that if they turned, I'd want them to turn. And all of those pieces going on inside of Jonah. So God says, why don't you go 550 miles this way? Jonah's like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm going to go 2,500 miles this way to Tarshish. 25, he went about five times further the other direction. His whole plan was to get out of the presence of the Lord, as we've said over the last three weeks. And uh, everybody say, that's a terrible plan. Right? Running away from God does not get it done. And Jonah's like, let's just give it a try. And so he's taken off. He gets in the boat. The boat gets out into the water. And the Lord, who is in charge of everything, right, hurls a great wind. It literally uses the word hurls. Hurls a great wind, throws it at him. And this tempest builds up and the sea is throwing the boat around. The boat is literally coming apart. It's ready to sink. Everybody can feel it. The mariners are freaking out that are running the boat. They are deeply afraid. These guys don't get afraid easy or often. And they are losing it. They challenge Jonah, what do we need to do? And Jonah says, this is because of me. Just throw me in the water. And uh, so they actually, after fighting that a bit, they don't want to. They don't want to kill this guy who they believe is a man of God. They're like trying to protect him. They're ending up going, all right, that's it. We got to throw him in. God forgive us if we're wrong. Grab him. One, two, and they heave him over the edge. And as he hits the water and gets dragged under by the currents and he starts to drown, at that moment, God then quiets the sea. And as we've talked about over these last weeks, you can imagine what that was like, right? The wind whipping around, the boat being tossed, the boat tipping back and forth, the rain pelting you. Have you ever been in the rain going like 30, 40 miles an hour, like on a motorcycle or something? You feel that rain hitting you like needles. It is pelting them and they're throwing him over. They're like, ah, and you hear this, and he hits the water and gets dragged under and it goes and it just sits quiet and the mariners are in awe and they worship the almighty God it says they sacrificed to him they paid vows to him they were saved man these guys turned right then and there and they're like, this is the God of the universe and this is the God who's in charge of the sea and we are giving our lives to him. And those men came to trust him as Jonah is being dragged down under the water and going further and further down. And he actually says in Jonah 2 when he's uh, reciting a prayer, he's reflecting back and he lets us know a little what went on. He ends up hitting the bottom. It says he hit the roots of the mountain. He literally went to the bottom of the sea, boom, and all of a sudden, the seaweed is wrapped around his head. He's barely able to move. All of this in chapter 2. Can't move. He can feel those last few heartbeats as he's underwater. Can't grab a breath. Those last few moments. And he's like, you know what? I need to do something about this. And what do I do? And so in the moment, he cries out to God, I'm done. Lord, I'm giving it to you. May I worship you. I I'm over with rebellion and may I worship you. I'm ready to meet you in your holy kingdom. You're in charge. And he began to worship God and set down his rebellion. And in that moment of worship, as he's on the bottom of the sea, God appointed. Remember, God hurled the wind. Now God appointed this great sea creature or fish or whatever you want to say it is. And it comes through and, and sucks him inside, swallows him whole. 
and it separates the water from him, and all of a sudden, (gasps) and he can breathe. And that fish became Jonah's salvation, uncomfortable safety. Often when God takes us out of repentance, he moves us to uncomfortable safety. Super uncomfortable inside of this being, but safe nonetheless, and he's able to breathe, and he's able to worship, and he's able to bring it back around to his God, and he closes out his prayer worship with this statement, salvation is from the Lord. And as he cries that out, in that moment, the great fish or whatever this element is ends up throwing him out, vomiting him out onto the land. And as he gets thrown onto the land and is laying there, being washed by the shore and his hands feeling the sand, and he's looking up into this bright sun. And a smile comes across his face as he realizes, you've got to be kidding me. This is how this story ends? Like I thought I was going to drown, I thought I was going to be eaten, I thought I was going to be swallowed whole and then become a great morsel for this other being and now instead God is giving me a chance to breathe and walk and talk on this earth again. And then God says, hey, I'm coming to you for a second time. How about that Nineveh thing, right? And Jonah's like, good point, let's go to Nineveh, right? A lot different when we have a worshiping heart than when we're having this rebellious, selfish heart. And in that worship heart, he stands up and he begins to walk fast towards Nineveh. He is heading to bring the message. And God says, when you get there, I'll tell you what to say. He gets there. God has told him what to say. He walks into the middle of Nineveh. He's like, all right, here I go. Time to talk to the murderous crew. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days and it's over for you guys. And you got to imagine in that moment, he's like, (laughs) yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. You should keep looking over your back like, who's coming at me, you know? How is this going to go down? And the people there literally respond exactly the opposite. They're like, you know, the guy's got a point. That's an amazing insight, really, that we're not really right with God. And this all needs to change. And all of them start turning one after another as they hear it. Words start spreading from the highest to the lowest. And they all begin to humble themselves. In fact, one day into a three-day journey through Nineveh, the king takes over and says, I got this. Send out the messengers. Bring the proclamation. Everyone, physical humbling, spiritual humbling. You cry out to this God, Yahweh. And we repent of our evil and all the works our hands have done. Who knows? Maybe God will relent from this. And it says right at the end of chapter 3, and God relented. He saw their repentance and he brought mercy. Man, mercy always follows repentance. And all of God's people said, and now we pick up Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Chapter title today or the sermon title is Trust. God's grace outweighs ours. Trust. Make sure that you understand that God knows more about what to do than we do. Right? Trust. And so how do we go through that? Number one, 
Prioritize God's plan over your own. Prioritize God's plan over your own. See, all too often we decide what we think would be phenomenal to happen in this world and then we start pleading with God to do it and we're upset when he doesn't. May we prioritize God's plan. Lord, what do you want done? Just like Christ prayed, not my will be done, but your will be done, Lord. And prioritize God's plan over your own. Here we go, starting in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It what? The whole of Nineveh coming to the Lord. Everybody humbling themselves and God relenting from the disaster and them being alive at the end of it. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. How much? Yeah, don't miss that word. It's going to come up again. Exceedingly. And he was angry. He was ticked off. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. What are you doing, God? He said, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Have you ever been one of those moments where you look back and like you can sort of, you feel like you can dovetail everything to one specific cause? Like I'm sure in the moment as Jonah was being called to go off to Nineveh, there was all of those reasons of fears and concerns. And, but now he's like, great, I, I knew this. You're this God who's going to end up relenting and being merciful to them. And I didn't want it. And what didn't he want? Why was he being angry? I'll just say this. Have you ever noticed how often we're really super happy that God is merciful when we're talking about ourselves? Right? We're like, mercy's awesome. Right? And then we're talking about the guy next to us who hurt us. And we're like, justice is amazing. Right? I, I really hope they can taste of the justice of God. Right? And, and we really, we love for mercy for ourselves. Not so much. For the enemy next to us and that's exactly where Jonah was he was like I really I'm super happy about the mercy thanks for the fish and the life and the letting me come back a second time but really mercy for them you've got to be kidding me and uh, justice please that's more where I'm at and uh, he cries out and he says isn't this really why I was afraid I, I love this part now he says this is why I was fleeing to Tarshish for I knew I knew it. Now, have you ever been in one of those fights where you get a little upset with someone and you're kind of losing it and you're like, I knew it. I, I knew you were going to be like, now usually what follows is a pretty rough words, man. Like, I knew you were going to backstab me. I knew you were going to leave me out in the dust. I knew that you didn't care about me. I knew that whatever we're doing, it's, it's a bit accusatory, right? Usually what follows is this deep accusation. I knew you were going to fail me and do wrong and that's why right I knew is usually followed by some pretty bad accusation here is the worst accusation he could come up with he's like I knew it I knew that you were a gracious God I knew that you'd be merciful slow to anger abounding in steadfast love I knew you'd relent from disaster that's the worst he could come up with like I knew it Mr. Gracious Gotta be gracious with everyone. Knew it. Knew that mercy. Oh yeah, mercy is your thing. Right, got it. Fish and everything. Got it. Gotta be merciful. I knew it. Why was I walking around saying 40 days and then? I knew you were a merciful God. I knew it. And uh, God, you humiliated me. 
I think part of his anger is, how dare you place me in a spot where I'm threatening their doom when really you're about ready to show their mercy. And God's like, hang on, it's so much deeper than that. Right? Jonah's all about himself, and so he's got an anger going about what God was doing. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This sounds very eerily familiar to Jonah chapter 1 when he's in the boat. And he's like, just throw me over the edge and let me die. He's back in rebellion against God at some level here. And he's wrestling with God, why don't you just let it end poorly? And uh, let's just be really clear here. Jonah is wrong in this position. Okay? Everybody say, Jonah's wrong. Really good that we have that. Sometimes I, I, I'd love to be able to edit a Bible someday where I just add in the phrase, and this was wrong, right? I'd love to be able to do that just for a little clarity, just so everybody knows where we stand. Not cool, right? And maybe we'll just call it the not cool version. And we'll, we'll put that in, not cool, right? Jonah is like threatening it out. Why don't you just take my life? It would have been better for me to just not be living now. And... Uh, Jonah's like, I don't know how to deal with the fact that my one purpose was crying out for their end and it didn't end with their end. See, he's missing it. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to be able to point them to Yahweh and let God do what God saw fit. And all of God's people said, and instead he made it all about himself. I'll just tell you this. When we prioritize the things of this world, on this earth, when we prioritize those things, we will always end up hypocritical, just so you know. We will always end up hypocritical. We'll end up picking something in this world that really matters to us, and we're like, that's so important, and I so want this to be valued, and then God starts valuing the same way somewhere else, and we're like, not like that over there, though. Don't do it over there, and all of a sudden, we're asking the God who has that character here to not have that character over there. When we prioritize things of this world, we will end up hypocritical. We will call God to not be consistent. Please only do that here. And uh, that is not cool. He's missing it. He's got a very small view of what God was going to be doing in this world. In fact, he gravely missed what God is trying to accomplish. And um, I just wrote this down. Jonah prioritized national pride over divine glory. Jonah prioritized national pride over divine glory. Like, God, do you know what they've done to Israel? Do you understand what they've done to me? Do you understand what this means to me? And he became very nationalistic in that moment, but not very theistic. He wasn't looking for the divine glory of God to be on display. He was looking for Israel to be on display. And it was a major issue that was going on. And uh, God's answer, do you do well to be angry? Right? When God asks that kind of question, you don't do well. You know what I mean? Do you do well? Nuh-uh. I'm not doing well. That would be a very appropriate answer. Do you do well to be angry? In fact, literally in the original language, this good? You angry? In fact, that word angry really is the word hot. This good? You hot? Is this really where we want to be? 
That's God's gentle question nudging Jonah. We're going to find that Jonah actually doesn't even have words for it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of surmising around it. It doesn't say a lot other than Jonah just said, I knew you'd be gracious and I didn't want to have to come with a message if you weren't going to make it real and, and all of that. But remember, we talked about this last week when he gave the message. He said, yet 40 days and you will be overthrown. It's, it's not set your watches, this is a promise. It's given as a warning. The word, the number 40 is a time of discipline, a time of tempting or trial. And we see it with a number of different things going on throughout the Old Testament. And they were hearing rightly, maybe we could repent and God will actually turn and relent from this disaster. That's a right hearing of the warning. It was more a warning than a promise. And Jonah took it more as a promise than a warning. And it began to create problems in his mind. You know, I, I was looking for an illustration this week for this piece. And it's kind of a lame example, but here's the best example I got. Ready? So uh, I love watching football in the fall. Uh, I'm an NFL fan. There's not many of us left right now, actually. <laughs> I love watching the NFL. And uh, actually, I'm a Bears fan. Uh, that's hard. But we'll just leave it at that. Love being a Bears fan, love watching them, love cheering for them, loved 1985, you know? That's kind of what we got. But I'm a Bears fan, super cheering for them, a little bit better this year. Things started to get a little better. You start to literally find yourself praying words like, Lord, please let Mitch Trubisky see the guy open in the flat on the right side. Throw the pass there. God, please bless this quarterback. We need some help. Like literally, you find yourself in moments of desperation. And then when he has a good game, you're like, yes, that's awesome, God, right? Those are great moments. Then you hear in the afternoon, like another team was doing well. Aaron Rodgers had a great come from behind victory, did the thing he often, often does, right? And he come from behind, they're winning, they're doing a great job. Isn't it great for the Green Bay Packers? And my answer... No, that's not a great thing. I don't want to see him do well. No, I'm a Bears fan. We don't bless them, God. Did, didn't you get the memo? What, what are you doing, right? That's exactly what Jonah is going through. He's like, wait a minute. Israel is falling apart. And... and and, and you're not even blessing us, and now you're blessing the Assyrians? No, I'm not on that plan. I don't want to see that happen. It would be better if I just died. The last thing I want to be known as is the prophet who helped save them. Please, God, anything but that. That's how strong his nationalistic pride was. Man, I'm telling you, when we miss that for God so loved the world, we miss a lot. And he is truly missing where God's plan is at. It is about God's glory shown off in this world. And all of God's people said. And so as God sees fit to show mercy, we so worship and praise him. And all of God's people said. as a huge deal. So simple question, man, are you crying out for mercy? Do you grasp the glory of God on display in his mercy? Are you crying out for mercy? Are you willing to trust in your God for salvation? 
Are you trying to keep it just for you? Or are you willing to share that out with others? Lord, whomever and wherever, wherever you see fit, your mercy on display, God. Right? That's the first point. Second, learn from God as he challenges in circumstances and direct words. Learn from God as he challenges in circumstances and direct words. God loves to use situations to teach. And God developed a life lesson for Jonah that he was going to walk him through. Remember, we'll pick up uh, kind of a running start here coming through verse 4. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? You have to hear that with the most tender voice possible. Do you do well to be angry? Verse 5, and Jonah went out of the city. I love that moment. It doesn't record any conversation. It kind of went like this. Do you do well? (laughs) That's what's recorded. He literally just walked out. You've got to be kidding me, God. I'm going to go outside the city. Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in the spring or in the fall series when we were talking through the Jewish feasts, one of the feasts is the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, and this is one of those. This is a temporary established thing where you put some vines and whatever branches together. It kind of holds up with three walls. There's a little bit of a roof, but not much. In fact, it allows sunlight and even rain to come through. It's meant to be very temporary with not much of a roof purposefully. And that's kind of how it's designed. It's not made to stand up under strong wind. It is made to just give you a little bit of a block from the weather, just a little. It's a temporary thing, a booth. And this is actually what they made often in the desert when they were wandering in the wilderness and uh, the Feast of Booths. So Jonah made one of those temporary housing moments. It says, he sat under it in the shade. There was a little bit of shade cast by it till he should see what would become of the city. Let that settle. Jonah preaches. They all repent. God relents. There is mercy and there is salvation as massive numbers are coming. 120,000 plus adults coming to it. Huge. Jonah ends up getting ticked off. God says, are you doing well to be angry? talk to the hand. He walks out. He builds a little temporary thing. You can only imagine he's muttering the whole time. Can't believe I said 40 days and then they don't even, right? Set it up so I can see. Sit down. We'll see what happens to them. We'll see how real this repentance is. We'll see if they hold on. We'll see if God doesn't just have to sweep back in with these guys and destroy them. We'll see. We'll see. He is watching and, quite frankly, hoping for their destruction. He sat in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed, everybody say God has a plan, right? The Lord appointed a fish in Jonah chapter 2. Now the Lord is appointing a plant on a much smaller level. The Lord appointed a plant and he made it come up over Jonah 
that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. This plant is fast growing, man. One day, I don't know, man. I'm not sure I'd have stayed under it. I'd have been like, that's creepy. Like it just, fast growing, comes up over big, huge palmated branches that give him some level of black from the sun. And he's like, this is excellent. Like you have to understand in this area, it's often 115, 120 degrees, okay? And then on top of it, it's going to say there's a scorching wind coming. That adds another 10 to 15 degrees. could be as hot as 120 to 130 degrees. And then when that shade comes, you literally get a 20, 30 degree black. So you feel a massive drop in temperature. He begins to feel much more comfortable. God gave him this plant to save him from his discomfort. God begins to speak to the comfortableness of Jonah as he gives a plant. So Jonah was exceedingly, how much? Glad. Remember, Jonah 4.1 started out, he was exceedingly angry. Now he's exceedingly glad. This boy has some pretty wide swings of emotion, right? And so he is now exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed... Everybody say, God has a plan, right? So God appointed the plant. Now God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. He has appointed a gigantor fish that could swallow him. Then he appointed a plant that would cover over him. And now he's appointed a worm, very small in size. And this worm attacked the plant so that it withered. It began to chew on it in just the right ways. And as the the temperatures and whatever hit it, it ended up just kind of withering down, browning out and falling over. And there was no shade coverage. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. God appointed, everybody say God had a plan. Right, are you seeing it? God is so invested in this life lesson. He appointed the plant that grew up over him. Then he appointed the worm that tore it down. Now he's appointing the wind that is going to elevate the discomfort. God appointed a scorching east wind. What kind of east wind? Hot, man. This is one of those shirakos that comes blowing through where it brings 10, 20 degree increases in heat and uh, this east wind blowing in, and the sun bared down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. You can imagine him sitting there. He was enjoying before the shade and the comfort and a little cool breeze, and he had a smile on his face. He was exceedingly glad as he waited for the destruction of Nineveh, right? And, and now these hot winds and the heavy sun and they're beating down. You can imagine the beads of sweat just running down him and no ability to get out of the discomfort. And as it bared down on him, it said he was faint. It's the exact same word that was used back in chapter one when he was underwater going down and he was going to pass away. He became faint. It was those last few breaths before death and same thing being used here. He felt that he was about ready to die in the heat of the sun. And he asked that he might die. 
And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Have we heard this before? Right? And he's swinging around now. And now he's like, all right, that's it. I lost my favorite plant. It's like, my life needs to end. And right, it's not so much about the plant. It's about the uncomfortableness of the heat beating down on. Jonah is very driven selfishly. And he's very much walking through a, how is this making me feel? And he's like, it is better for me to die than to live. And uh, everybody just say, Jonah is wrong. Right? Again, our not cool translation, right? That is not cool, right? He is beginning to overstate the problem again. And now he's beginning to see that his lack of comfort should just bring this to an end. But God said to Jonah, now think if you're God, what would your answer be? Come on, man. Buck up. Do you think I don't know what I'm, right? Think of what you would think would be a very reasonable, appropriate answer. Now you take a look at what God said. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And then he adds three words. For the plant? Same question as before. Do you do well to be angry? Now for the plant? Are you grasping where your anger's coming from and what's going on? Do you do well? And Jonah said to him, like now think about you being Jonah, as God has now said this question to you for the second time. Do you do well to be angry, right? What would you say? I'm, I'm sure no, right? I, 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 all right, I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm wrong, right? No. Jonah's answer, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die, right? Can you feel the emotion of this guy? Like, I would love to see this movie made where he is sitting out on the edge of the desert and the heat is blowing in and the, you're seeing this hard east wind blowing, probably blew the whole thing away that he was sitting in. This booth is probably gone or very, very ripped up. He's got the heat pouring down on, the sun is dripping down and he decides it's time to have a tantrum, right? Yes, yes, I do well. That's my position, and I'm standing with it. I'm angry, and I think it's good. And uh, everybody say, Jonah's wrong. Okay, really good that we get it. Not cool, right? He is beginning to try to have a tantrum with God, and he is about ready to go to school with the God of the universe. And uh, he said, yeah, I think I do well to be angry. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. I'm just going to hold right there for a moment. There is pity that is pouring into the life of this man and pouring out of the mouth of this man. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And he is struggling deeply with self-pity. In fact, when we say the words, I should just die. I just want to be very serious for a moment. 
and be super careful with those words, okay? Be super cautious with that phrase. It's echoing from deep within the soul a sorrow and a self-pity of I don't want it this way. And I get that. There may be something very heavy you're going through, but please be careful when we begin to voice out a desire to see this life end because we just want it our way or else. That's not cool, right? We gotta be so careful that our worship is of our God. And man, if you are going through something heavy and something tough, please hear me. We are so ready as a pastoral staff to come alongside to hurt with you and to help you walk through that and to be able to get a perspective of your God in the midst of that. Please know this, man. Your God loves you and you are not alone, but we do need to see it through the lens of our God. Ready? And all of God's people said, Super important, we grasp that. In Jonah chapter two, we talked about the fish being an uncomfortable safety. Uncomfortable safety, right? Often at the back end of our repentance, as God brings us out, he keeps us in an uncomfortable safety as he begins to walk us through transformation. And I'm telling you, self-pity is focusing on the uncomfortable, Self-pity is focusing on the uncomfortable. Worship is focusing on the safety. And that is a huge thing to grasp. Self-pity is focusing on the uncomfortable. Worship is focusing on the safety. God's got this, and I'm trusting him, and I barely understand some of what he's doing, but that's okay. My God's got this, and I'm going to lean in with him with all I've got. Man, bring your worship to the table, not your self-pity. Focus on the safety, not the uncomfortable, and watch God move, okay? Huge deal. He says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant. You're feeling sorry for the destruction of the plant, right? For which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Short-lived and you had nothing to do with it. Quite frankly, he's pointing out, let's be really clear here. The reason you like that plant is because you appreciated the comfort it gave you. Be careful. You pity the existence of this plant and it being taken away. Now God turns the corner. Should not I pity then Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? He's like, listen, I have put together these people, each one of them in their complexity. I am helping them to grow by my very presence. I am sustaining them and I am providing for them. I am growing them and keeping them and walking them on a path. 
I am the God of the universe and their existence depends upon me. And I have poured into their lives. You have pity on what you had nothing to do with. I am having pity on something that I love and I have poured into with all I've got. The school lesson is elevating for Jonah, but it gets even stronger. He says, not only is this 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, they don't know their right hand from their left, they're lost, man. They're lost. Now, there's some argument about this phrasing because you could take this literally. Some take this literally. Some commentaries will say, no, 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 I really think he means there's 120,000 people who don't know right from left. They like really can't figure out R versus L. I think it's literal. And so I think we're talking about like kids, maybe four years and under, something, three and under. They don't know. You ask which one's right and they point to their head. Like they don't know. They have no idea what they're talking about. And so there's 120,000 like kids. And then mathematically, that would be, you know, multiply by a factor of four or five to get to the total number of population, six, seven hundred thousand. I, I think that's probably a little too literal. I, I think God is literally trying to say, these guys are lost. They don't know their right from their left. We've got 120,000 people that are responsible age. I think the point of this passage is he's talking about the people who were doing evil that were going to be held accountable for their evil. I think we're looking at the adult leadership of Nineveh who is lost. They don't get it. And if this is the adult count and all of them have kids, again, you're back at that kind of half a million sort of number. And so either way, whatever this number points to, I personally believe it's the responsible adults decision-making who were clueless. And that's what's going on here. And you have the 120,000 people clueless And God's like, I care for them, and I love them. And after repentance comes mercy. And man, I'm going to pour it on like you wouldn't believe. And I love this statement. It says, Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Like, you got to love that moment. God just throws it in. I don't know, a lot of, lot of cattle too, you know? And I, I mean, remember in this story, Jonah was upset, not about a person, not about 120,000, but not about the half a million persons. He was upset about a plant, a plant that existed for a day. And that was it. And he's like, listen, I am upset about so much more and I'm having mercy on so much more. God cares. And our God loves, and his love is a steadfast love. Everybody say steadfast. That is our God. He cares deeply. God's like, listen to me. Here's the story. You had pity on a plant. I'm having pity on these human beings who are repenting and coming to me. Mercy. And then it says, And Jonah said to him, you know, it doesn't say that, does it? It just stops. Like, that's the end. And so many people, as they talk about the book of Jonah, they're like, I don't like the way it ends. Like, where is Jonah? 
Whatever happened to Jonah? In fact, there's nothing ever recorded after this about Jonah, son of Amittai. Like, whatever happened to that guy again? I just want to make this really clear. This is not a poorly written book that left you on the cliffhanger. Hang on, Jonah 2 is coming. 2021, we'll get the update, right? It's not that. It's not this whole story of Jonah. This is not the story of Jonah at all. Jonah is not the main actor of Jonah. The main actor of Jonah is Yahweh God Almighty. And man, when you get that and you go back and look, all of a sudden, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, it opens with God Almighty. And it closes with, and the Lord said, God Almighty. This story is all about God. And God ends up saying, I've got a plan. Come with me. And God's saying, I'm telling you, we're going to do a work that's going to be amazing. And Jonah's like, no thanks. And he's like, good, I'll use that. We'll save some more guys. People get saved through it. And he brings them back around and he's like, keep coming, keep coming. He comes over to Nineveh. They end up believing. They're all saved. Jonah gets very upset and he's like, hang on, I got one thing more to record so that everybody forever gets to see my heart. I love and I will have mercy on those that repent and come to me. That's who I am. Man, we worship the God who brings mercy. And all of God's people said, and if you can grasp the bookend of Jonah, God says, and God says, you have just grasped the main actor. And God hurled and God appointed and God appointed and God appointed and God says, he is the main actor in this world. As soon as we begin to say we're the main actor in our life, we're beginning to become Jonah. Lord, may I not be the main actor in my own story. May it be you that's the main actor in my life. May I point to you always. It is about the glory of God Almighty. And all of God's people said, Dude, that's the book of Jonah on fire. If we can trust God moving in this world, if we can lean on him and all that he's doing, imagine how he works through us as this church becomes on fire for him. And we speak out of a God who is real and he is making an impact in my life. May God get the glory. His relentless love. That's the story of Jonah. Let's pray.